is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. Podcasting to you from the seaside town of Edmonds, Washington, where I am still deathly afraid that Assad could bring Sharia law here to Edmonds. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Tim Kilkenny. I'm from Hood River, Oregon, where I'm still afraid the NFL is going to change the result of the Seahawks' victory. I'm Andrew Hoffman. Well, Putin's trying to change the result of Syria, NFL, maybe changing the result of the of the uh, Seahawks victory. Uh, yeah, another Monday night football game in Seattle, and everything goes just 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 great. Yeah, and uh, watching it live, or well, it wasn't actually live, but when I was watching it, um, the play happened, and I said. I think the ball was out before he crossed, but I'm not sure. And he batted it out of the back of the end zone. That's illegal. <laughs> you, you you called it? You're one of few fans that actually called it right away. Yeah. And uh, so then the replay, they were focused on fumble or no fumble. I'm like, yes, it's a fumble. And at that point, uh, like most penalties, you can't... It's like, not decide reviewed. to throw the flag later, yeah. Right, it's not a reviewable it's a, thing. It, it's a judgment call on whether it was intentional or not, which it certainly was. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so... I, I'll, I'll tell you my perspective. I actually knew that rule as well, but K.J. Wright fooled me. He seemed so sure of himself. <laughs> he just kind of yeah. went over, just went, beep. And I thought, clearly, he must know the rules better than me. Uh, because he just popped, went over there and, and pushed it on out of bounds. Um, well, he definitely didn't think it was illegal. No, absolutely not. No, and that's what I'm saying. He he didn't know the rules better than me. But my initial reaction when I thought, "Hey, isn't that illegal?" But he did it with such. He was so sure of himself. He just went yeah. over just with a little poop. So, um, you know, you know what? the funny thing about that is everybody's whining about it or whatever. And let's let's let's. I mean, let's really break this down from a media perspective, okay? Yeah. Um. And this isn't just like a Homer Seahawks thing. I mean, this is this is legit. Okay, worst case scenario, the penalty's called. The Lions get the ball in the one. They don't win de facto. Right. Okay, so they're still gonna have to drive the ball and put it in. Are they gonna get it in after four times? Maybe, but the Seahawks have de- Seahawks have definitely stood up to that before. So it's not a sure win. The other thing too well, and, is if he doesn't and- just bat the ball. He just, he can just grab it and the game is over. It's not a huge deal. Or if he, even if he like throws himself at the ball, like in some sort of strange attempt to like you know chest bump the ball out, it's totally legal. So I mean these or, are it's it's really splitting hairs to get into the whole thing. And then to top it all off, we got to remember what's going on here from a media perspective. The game is televised on what channel? ESPN. So they have nothing better to do than right. to. They're going to drag it out for. They're going to pump the controversy up and drag it out for hours. Because you do you know why? 
the largest viewership that they have is every week on Monday night. And at the very end, they were gifted something that could be controversial virtual, and maintain their enormous audience for longer than usual. And I'll, I'll, I'll even... Uh, I'll cop to it. I sat there for a good 10, 20 minutes listening to them go on and on. Ray Lewis right. yelling at the old man. Trent Dilfer yeah. saying, it's a punt. It's like a punt. You kick the ball. And then Steve Young, you know, who has some sort of strange bald spots going on or something. I don't know. Uh, the whole <laughs> thing, I just, it's like, it just you just kind of realize it for what it is. It's a football game, and the media is trying to drag it out so that you can get you to tune in to a bunch of crap that ultimately doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, but I'm a little mad at KJ Wright because if I have the Seahawks defense on my fantasy football team, and if he grabs the ball, it's a recovered fumble, and as it was, didn't get anything for it and lost lost by three points. Okay, let's let's really get to the root of the issue. How did your fantasy football team do? Lost by three points. That's man. tough. That's tough. Okay. Okay. Well. Uh, yeah, that's there. You go. So there was the but they but the Seahawks won, Ducks won. It was a like back to normal football weekend here. Yeah, there you go. It's been rough. Well, tell that to fans in Detroit or Chicago. And by the way, last week when I said that the, there's nothing wrong with the Cubs, and you said except their play, I didn't mean like. There's nothing. Obviously, the Cubs are bad, but I, I root for the Chargers week in, week out. I've rooted for the Seahawks, and while that's now suddenly in the last five years in vogue, um, I rooted for them before that when it was heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. I have a tendency to root for the underdog, so right. I have nothing against the Cubs. I wanted to clarify as our uh, esteemed colleague there in Missouri, whose name <laughs> may or may not be... Matt Schneider. Jared Gilbert? Oh. <laughs> Who's a Cards fan and said he, he oh, yeah, threw yeah. up when I he, I said there was nothing wrong with the Cubs. So um, I also live in the uh, best baseball city in America, the, the Seattle uh, Mariners. Ugh. <laughs> so, Ugh. I, I tend to root for underdogs. It just so happens that my one of my underdog no, teams I'm... actually started to win something recently. So. Um, now right. that we are well, like, and, and that's and they they said, well, you know, that's the story of the respective franchises. The Lions find a way to lose, and the Seahawks find a way to win. It's like, man, you guys have not paid attention to the Seahawks for very long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first one's still true. The Lions did find a way to lose that one. So, um, heck, the Browns found a way to not found a way to lose in San Diego this week. They had the they had the Chargers beat, and. Uh, I still found a way to lose. So, um, how many people do you think are still listening? Oh, quite a few. There, yeah, yeah. They, they, they're, they're probably, probably like, "This is awesome." I thought they were going to talk about the mass shooting in <laughs> Andrew's home state. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the mass shooting, and I was just actually starting to realize we don't have any stories in there, and then you threw one in there. Um, want to hear something strange? Yes. 2008, I went to Roseburg, Oregon. Like, destination, Roseburg, Oregon. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine grew up there. Um, and, uh, you know, was either work at the mill or work at the mill. 
<laughs> and so <laughs> he decided to join the Navy. And uh, anyway, he's from right down there. So as soon as it all happened, I called him. He was uh, in contact with family members that live back there. And um, yeah, he said it's just the whole thing's strange. Everybody's just kind of freaked out. Um, very, very interesting. I was hoping for some inside info. Turns out he doesn't really have any. Uh, he just kind of said that, um, you know, everybody's pretty freaked out. And everybody also was pretty mad uh, about the uh, way that Barack Obama handled it um, there locally. So, um, and by that I mean, and I think he meant, um, you know, Barack Obama does some sort of a speech. I didn't actually even catch it, but during his oh, speech, yeah. he barely, like, he barely even acknowledges, like, the families who had lost loved ones and went, like, straight into gun control loss. Yeah. Like, almost immediately. No, it, it was, uh, it was, uh, I'm just so frustrated and angry because it keeps happening because, uh, Congress won't let me solve this problem. That was basically the the gist of it. Wow. And that's uh not not taking time to um uh take time to mourn or he's, let families grieve at all. His actual quote was our thoughts and prayers are not enough. Wow. They're not a, they're not enough. Wow. And then he did like the like fake anger thing, you know. The fake anger super like long the pause. Teleprompter said, so the here's... teleprompter said said angry pause and then the same line over again. But is the is the angry pause longer than the regular pause? The thing is, <laughs> it's just uh, not enough. It's not enough. You gotta go one beat, two beats, angry beat, and then yeah. then you can talk. Um, so that's what I have. You listen to any of the no agenda deconstruction? Uh. Yes, there's not, some strangeness yeah. going on with that sheriff. The um, yeah, I had known about that. That was kind of like one of the first things that popped out. Okay, so you did know about that. Well, let me uh, let me let me hand the reins over to you, uh, the steering wheel, as it were. Uh, where 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 do you want to go on that? Because I mean, I've given you my two cents uh, that people on the ground there were just kind of mad at the way Barack handled it. Um, mm -hmm. And then I've heard some of the no agenda stuff. I haven't looked too much into it. I do know for certain uh, with a cursory look at it that we got the old uh, crisis actor YouTube folks out. Um, and that's really all I know, boss. So. The, the, the uh, Yes, the government crisis actor agents. Yep. Working overtime. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's. The, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there where it's just like. I think their whole, you know, some stuff they might mix in some true information or interesting sounding information, but there's just a lot of lying too. Like, look, it's the same person. No, it's not the same person. You know, it's like a picture and then a, another picture photoshopped to look kind of like the first person, and they just oh, it's the same person. I'm not saying there's not crisis actors, but, um, and I'm certainly not saying it's not. You could tell by the earlobes. Look at the earlobe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
You're just not looking at the earlobe, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. So th there's that part of it. Do a, let's do an absolute um, cursory the, issue. I mean, I, I can't imagine there's anybody out there who doesn't know, but I'll say it just in case there is someone. Uh, Oregon shooting, uh, Roseburg, Oregon Community College, Umpqua Community College. Um, guy goes in, shoots ten people. Um, had several guns on him. Which, apparently, which was was like thirty people at one point. Right. Twenty um, people injured, ten to and then official stats were fluxing all day, and then I, I still have not seen this totally verified. If this is just kind of in the wind, but there's like a, a religious ish like angle to this, where he asks the the people, no, "Are the, you a there's, Christian?" There's a victim's father who said uh, when she was going in for spinal surgery she told him that he uh that she had survived because she print she had been shot and she pretended to be dead he told her to get up and she just laid there like she was already dead and uh but she heard him go person by person and say um are you a christian and if they said yes he said um good while well, you're about to meet God in one second and shot him in the head. Right. And if they said uh, no, then he shot him like in the leg. Right. So, which at first I couldn't, which, which go ahead. Uh, I got judging it. from, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I want you to steer this cause I just, I'm all over the place with it. So, so all I, as far as I know, all of those, all of the reports on that come from, that one kind of secondhand witness. Um, so, I mean, make of it what you will. It doesn't really fit into any media narrative, so I don't know why it would be made up. Um, other than maybe it's like, oh, we'll get the conservative Christians on our side for gun control now, which... Right. I'm. I, it's weird. I almost didn't... I almost took it as the conservative Christians are going to go on our side for gun control... And then I also kind of read it as, you know, he's like, if you are a Christian, good, you're going to go meet God. Like he, you know, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a weird well, message too. It's almost like he was down with the Christians to meet him to God. I don't know. All right. Here's an, uh, <laughs> does it remind anyone else out there of the Flannery O'Connor short story? Um, oh, I should have pulled it up. All right. Do you want to you want to read that story while I pull something up real quick, Tim? The Flannery O'Connor story. You want me to pull find that while you read it? Oh yeah, we could do it that way too. Okay. Um, just look up uh, Flannery O'Connor, and she would have been a good woman if there was someone there to shoot her every day of her life. Ah, okay. Like that quote. Okay. Yeah. That should bring it up. Okay, so and here's another element, which is almost always an element, mass shootings and rarely covered. Um, Oregon shooter and new details emerge about Chris Harper Mercer. And by the way, people, don't get tripped up with the three names thing. They just do that so that if your name is Chris Mercer, you don't get associated with the mass murderer. So. That's why they always say the middle name or the 
in this case, I think it's like a hyphen last name somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's uh, it's also so that every we can be sure to make you know let everybody know who he was, so he can be famous, so that the next person out there who's uh, uh, interested in doing something knows his name will be released. Right. Another thing that the sheriff is refusing to say his name um, because that that's what clearly what he believes is that media hyping it up is just going to make it happen again uh, not that guns are the problem uh, a darker picture emerged Friday of slain Umqua community college shooter Chris Harper Mercer as a deeply troubled anti-religion anti-government recluse obsessed with guns now I don't know how that's a darker picture than someone hey there's this guy who just killed ten, nine people and himself and shot seven other people that's about as dark as it gets but uh, the U.S. Army discharged him just five weeks into basic training in 2008, or did they? Uh, records indicate he graduated in 2009 from a high school catering to troubled and special needs students. Uh, interesting that he had not graduated high school. That's probably why the Army discharged him. Don't you have to have completed high school? High school, uh, high school or GED. So he could he could it's possible he could have got a GED. Yeah, but if he got his GED, if he probably didn't go back to high school. I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, multiple media sources reported Friday that he left behind an angry note that is now in the hands of investigators. The Los Angeles Times said Harper Mercer's note was several pages long and talked about his anger and depression. Sophia Camarina of Long Beach, California, told the Oregonian Oregon Live that she used to date Harper Mercer's father. I used to change Chris's diapers when he was a baby, she said, upset after learning that he was the shooter in Thursday's massacre and was himself dead. He was born with problems. He was hard to discipline. If you told him no, he would scream like you had just hit him. Camarina said that she had heard Harper Mercer's mother was having a hard time with him and that he attended a special school. Camarina said she last saw Harper Mercer when he was 18, and she asked him how he was doing. He said he was doing good, said Camarina, whose son went on went on to marry Harper Mercer's stepsister. Okay, so she was dating the father, and then her son went on to marry Harper Mercer's stepsister, all right? Uh, there are a number of indications that Harper Mercer had mental health or behavioral issues. His screen name on some social media sites was Lithium Love. Lithium is used as a psychiatric medication. Harper Mercer graduated from the Switzer Learning Center in 2009, according to a graduation listing in the Daily Breeze newspaper. Switzer Center is a private, nonprofit school in Torrance, California, geared for special ed students with a range of di- issues from learning disabilities, health problems, and autism or Asperger's disorder, according to the school's website. Uh, they take in students that are referred to them by surrounding school districts, said Thomas Buescher, former chairman of the Switzer board. Enrollment typically ranges between 90 and 100, Buescher said. Two-thirds come from a non-traditional household, um, like a group home or foster home, according to Buescher, who said a high proportion also come from low-income homes. All right. A neighbor told the New York Times that Harper Mercer's mother had told the neighbor, my son is dealing with some mental issues and was intolerant of roaches that had infested the building. So I don't know if that makes you crazy that you're intolerant of roaches. 
He hated uh, roaches. What a he jerk. hated roaches. Uh, witnesses said Harper Mercer singled out the religious during the shooting. He reported they asked students and staff their religion and shot those who answered they were Christians. The U.S. Army con- confirmed Friday it discharged Harper Mercer just halfway through his 10 weeks of basic training in 2008. A review of Army records indicate that Christopher Sean Harper Mercer was in service at Fort Jackson, South Carolina from 5 November to 11 December 2008, but discharged for failing to meet the minimum administrative standards to serve in the U.S. Army. Said Lieutenant he didn't Colonel graduate. Ben Garrett. Yeah. He, he lied. So, you, uh... That actually happens, Garrett, happens fairly often. You lie and then... You yeah. Can... Garrett, Garrett declined to elaborate on uh, what those minimum administrative standards were. Amid the dis- dysfunction, there were also hints of normalcy. Harper Mercer found a home of sorts at the Umcock Community College Theater Arts Department. Oh, yeah, those drama kids are normal. Just kidding. Just kidding, people. All right. Uh, he worked as a set designer for this... Department Spring Musical. He took a theater class this summer, confirmed Dr. Rita uh, Cavan, Umpqua Community College intern president, and was listed among the set crew for the department's fall production of Blythe Spirit. Interesting name. Rebecca Miles, a 20-year-old student and Roseburg native, worked with Harper on on last spring's production. I painted and worked on the set with them, said Miles, who declined to actually speak his name. He was a little socially awkward, but he was nice, friendly. Harper Mercer was born in the United Kingdom. Uh, stepsister Carmen Nesnick told CBS Los Angeles, moving to the United States when he was very young. He grew up in the Torrance area. His parents, Ian Bernard Mercer and Laurel Margaret Harper, divorced in uh, 2006. So there's where he gets the hyphenated last name. Harper Mercer's family voiced shock and sadness both about his death and the victim's fate. And these acts of anger is... I don't think you can find any one answer, said Antoinette de Harper, Mercer's stepsister, in a written statement. I don't know why he targeted Christians. I really wish that uh, we could have helped him before he felt the need to hurt so many people. I do not condone his actions, but he was my brother. I loved him, and we ask that you let us grieve as well. Uh, So there you go. Did you find the story, Tim? A good man is hard to find. A good man is hard to find. One of the best short stories ever written. Really? I'm a big Flannery O'Connor fan, though. Are you, are you familiar at all? Teach me something, English professor. She was a Christian, a, a Catholic. She was Catholic, but um, like very sincere Christian person so she would write these short stories with um some very shocking at least for the time elements in them um with some theological point to them but in a um not in like a an overt uh spelling it out for you type of way in a i mean she's She's very well respected from a literary perspective as well as like known as a Christian writer. So, um, anyway, you want to read the, uh, well, we'll just tell people go read a good man is hard to find. She would have been a good woman. Said the misfit. If there, if it had been somebody there to shoot her every minute of her life from Flannery O'Connor, a good man is hard to find. 
Yeah. You could probably get this story for free online somewhere. I will do my best to find it and put it in the show notes. There we go. Read it, people. Okay. Re- reading is good for your brain. It'll be in the show notes. And then... <laughs> oh, actually, uh, and I also have a recording that is 37 minutes long. I could just put it at the end of our podcast. 37 minutes long? Is it really that long for that story? Flannery, o- Flannery O'Connor reads A Good Man is Hard to Find in 1959. Oh, man. I want to listen to that. There you go. I might start oh. it at the end of the podcast. Maybe I'll give a little teaser and a link to the rest of it. Yeah, I've, I don't think I've ever heard her speak or read, so that that would be interesting. There you go. She's got another short story about a um, scam artist posing as a Bible salesman <laughs> with a hollow leg. That's worth reading as well. Um, it's another mass shooting. It's another uh, person. It's another chance to grandstand on dead children. Yeah. And another person, um, it wasn't mentioned in the article, but uh, he posted a uh, comment on social media like, I've got this bottle of pills, um, and I'm not sure which ones the sleeping pills are, so I just took four of each. So he's a big... You know, big prescription drug user. So, are we going to mention the open letter that the sheriff of this county? Oh yeah, we should mention sent that. to the president uh, in so 2012 he, after Sandy Hook. Yeah, to to Joe Biden or whatever. So, uh, so he's kind of an oath keeper type, like. Uh, um, don't mess with my county. Gun control is not going to keep these horrible things from happening. And I'm not going to enforce your unconstitutional laws if you make them. So don't bother making them. That was kind of the... It was said in a slightly nicer way than that. But that was the idea. Um, which could put you on a, on a uh, hit list of some sort in this case kind of politically because uh, now it's being framed as look at this gun nut sheriff and if if it weren't for him and people like him these things wouldn't happen sheriff uh, which, Han- sheriff handling handling Oregon shooting decried gun control in letter to Biden gun control is not the answer to preventing heinous crimes like school shooting Douglas County Sheriff said to uh, Douglas County Sheriff John Hanlon said in the January tw- 15th 2013 letter a copy of which was recently posted online any federal regulation enacted by congress shall not be enforced by me or my deputies he he also said he would not stop any federal agent he would stop any federal agent from enforcing gun laws in his county so there you go that is just a weird is it a weird coincidence i have a hard time with that because roseburg is a town of twenty-two thousand people a very small town um is this all just a coincidence, or does it matter? Well, that's a good question. Because there's, you can kind of look at it two ways. You can look at it and say, um, "Look, he was a, the killer was a, 
kind of crazy. He had mental health problems and was on prescription drugs. We won't blame those, but it'll be known. Um, and, you know, hated Christians and whatever it is, you know, whatever the supposed motivations are. Or you could look at it, at it from the standpoint of um, someone who is profiled as, okay, here's someone a little off their rocker. If we get a hold of them, we can program them to go do something crazy. And, you know, I didn't hear a lot of it in this case, but in many other shootings, it's uh, many different reports of multiple shooters, and then it all gets boiled down to one one person. I didn't hear as much of that for this one, um, so maybe it was just him, but at least on a, uh, maybe not even on a government level, maybe on a, a more spiritual level, there's was probably something else pulling pulling strings. So. And then, have you heard um, wh whether there's verification that he was talking about doing it the night before and saying, don't go to school if you go to school in Oregon? Right, so... Or, or I, was that I did. I, no, I mean, it's 4chan. And so 4chan, um, it's a t totally anonymous. I mean, it's, it, it's Reddit before Reddit was mainstream I mean, but 4chan's kind of you know two steps away from the dark web i mean it's just a very uh not a lot of not tech savvy people in there so it ends up being kind of i don't know how to put it uh, sometimes it ends up on the darker side um so mm -hmm. that was a comment made there i did actually find screenshots of the 4chan website where that was said I did not find the 4chan uh, for you know in it in the 4chan forum where it was, um, although a lot of times you can certainly find those in there. Remember last year or a couple of years ago, the guy that I don't remember if I talked about it on the show, but he strangled his girlfriend, posted it on 4chan, and then ran to like Portland. He lived in the Peninsula area. Hmm. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't remember that. Yeah. So. Anyway, the, I do my best well, to, to track those down, but uh, well, one, I should get hazard pay that. for. Uh, should, oh yeah, for, I should get hazard pay for braving uh, 4chan forums sometimes. For having that uh, in your browsing history. Yeah. Well, let's see. He was former military. He visited 4chan. Clearly depressed because he was an Oklahoma Sooners football fan. <laughs> <laughs> got a graphic design degree that he's using to sell cars sell cars oh. <laughs> so the well actually one of my co-workers uh, posted on social media um, something to the effect of wait a second so we've got this giant homeland security and surveillance state and NSA spying <laughs> on everything. And this kid saying, um, I'm going to go shoot up a school in Oregon tomorrow. And we can't, you know, we can't respond to that at all. We can't no. figure out who is saying it. Or we, we can't, you know, send out an alert, maybe make sure, you know, have some off duty cops paid to be at school schools that day. You know, 14 is pretty incredible. I mean, it's pretty, uh, private, um, anonymous. 
It's probably one of the yeah. last one of the last places. I mean, you would think that somebody would find it, but you're, good point. It's an all encompassing, all seeing eye. Someone should have heard or seen something. Well, and the the point was, it doesn't work. The surveillance doesn't work. So why are we paying billions and billions of dollars for it? But that's never the uh, the message of the mainstream media or the government. It's always we need more laws, you know. And the one time if he'd actually stuck by it, I would agree with Jeb Bush. Hey, man, stuff happens. You don't make laws because of it. Yeah. But no, it was I was misquoted. Of course we need to make laws. Just wait till after I'm elected. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, UCC shooter radicalized by the 4chan site. That's what happened. Mm. There you go. Some of you guys are all right. Don't go to school tomorrow if you're in the Northwest. There'll be a happening thread posted here tomorrow. Watch the news. Is the beta uprising finally going down? Maybe chillax and not alert the police. Either you kill me or my parents do, but I'll be waiting. And, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Little, little opaque. Not super specific there. Not but. super specific at all. But uh, I like the 4chan radicalization angle. It's good stuff. Yeah. It's an enormous website that everybody speaks anonymously on and more or less trades in like, you know, porn or gory picture, you know, strange pictures. Of course, they radicalized him. They're like, go to school, kill your friends. And so I guess he was a student there. Yeah. Even though some people in his own went complex. to the same school and lived right next to him and didn't, and didn't know, know he that was. he was there. Yeah. Just possible. I mean, it is possible, but it is possible. if you're taking different classes and it, it's a big campus, it's not a huge school, but it's a giant. Um, as far as the amount of real estate it covers, because it's not a big city down there. Land no. is, is cheap. So I parked in one of the parking lots and, Walk down to the, uh, they got a fish ladder down there. Fish ladders are cool. Yeah, but it's right next to the school. So when, yeah. I, call, when I call my buddy, I'm like, is everything okay? He's like, yeah, you remember where we parked? I'm like, really? Is it, that's the school. I'm like, weird. That's just weird. Uh, yeah. All right, Andrew, folks out there, have we heard enough? Do we know what's going on? I have, we have no idea. Do we think it's crisis actors? Maybe. Do we care? Not really. Is it going to affect your day-to-day life? No. Is the fallout from what happens, whether it was real or fake, going to affect your life? Maybe. <laughs> so, Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's the only takeaway, I would say. Um, not the who, the what, the when. But but I also like this one. So the <laughs> I heard that people who were questioning, you know, how he was, how they were murdered... Uh, you know, it's funny looking at why he did it and questioning his family and where he came from and all this other stuff, you know, in order to better understand gun control to keep this from happening next time. That's like totally like, that's like the right thing to do. That's like, hey, we should be doing it. That's the least we should do to in, in support of these victims. Unless it comes to September 11th, in which case, just believe... Right, what just you're told, and then afterwards, be mad yeah. at the people we tell you to be mad at. 
When it comes to gun control, though, we got to figure out how this happened, where did he get the guns, who does he know, exactly what happened at what time, and where we could stop it. When it comes to September 11th, should we change building codes based on the fact that buildings were, you know, fell down by, you know, office fires and jet fuel? Should we change entire building codes? Because clearly we don't build uh, U.S. buildings up to spec. No. No. Should we investigate where the money from came from? It's of little practical significance. But when it comes to guns, we got to go all out. Uh, I think the government likes endless wars and excuses for endless wars. It's kind of the new strategy. So you got the, you know, the war on poverty, uh, war on terror. <laughs> it's the war on guns. There's 300 million guns. Yeah. I mean, you would. Uh, you would basically have to kill every person in America to get rid of all the guns. Do you think that it's possible in our lifetimes to ban guns in the United States? Uh, no. Let's say let's say you and I are both thirty. Let's say we live another forty years. So that puts us, uh, well, you know, hopefully we're going to live longer than that. But just to be safe, we'll go forty, forty, maybe fifty years. So fifty years from now puts us two thousand sixty-five. Possible from here to there to have guns illegal in the U.S. It's possible there'd be no U.S. at that point. That's a valid point. That's a valid point. Do you think it's possible in the next five years there's no guns in this city, in this country? Well, there. I mean, there's there's always going to be guns, even if it's it, the guns will outlive America. I'll yes. put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So my point, though, is still the same. This is not something that's happening anytime soon. Because every time they try to do this, Congress tries to go to put it to a vote. And it just, you know, people take to the streets. They get on the Internet. They email the Congress. They call them. It's just not happening. Just much like this is they're trying to turn the Northwest into a bicycle culture. It's not a bicycle culture, folks. Please stop. Right. <laughs> this yeah. is a car culture. It doesn't matter how many millions of dollars you spend on bike lanes. <laughs> But what if we put it like a green bike lane in the middle of the intersection in Portland and downtown Seattle? Would that help? No, it wouldn't help. <laughs> Is it going to help with traffic? No, it's not going to help. Are, are bikers still going to be hitting accidents? Yes, because they're sharing the road with cars, which are much bigger and who the the roads were originally designed for. Right. I understand what you're going for. It's green. It's nice. You get your exercise. I have nothing against bikes, but... It is not a bike culture. You cannot force it to be a bike culture. This is also a gun culture. The, and you the, cannot the bike The bike culture in Hood River is you load your bike up on the bike rack, drive and, to the edge of town and then go mountain biking in the in the mountains. Oh, I thought That's you were what, gonna, I thought you were going to say the bike culture in, you know, like suburb of Seattle is to load your bike up on your car. And then just drive around with it on your car so everybody knows that you bike. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that one happens, I think. It's maybe more often with skis, but. Uh... Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. That's, so you don't ride the bikes in the town of, of Hood River? That's good. No, they, no, they do. But yeah. it's not. Uh, there's a lot more. There's some. Like the. Uh, what's called the scenic highway. Yep. It was, um, so it's closed to cars. It's a great place to ride a bike. It is actually annoying when you're walking on that road and, uh, 
we were out, you know, taking out walking with Molly out there. And um, <laughs> a guy comes racing up on a bike and says, on your left. So we jump to the right. On, a, on your right. You know, it's like, <laughs> come on, buddy. You gotta. He's, he's, he meant like on your right, but he said on your left. So we moved to the right. And <laughs> that was, was a mess. Did he then yell at and you? Then, and, yeah, then he yelled at us and said, pick one side or the other. It's like, we were, we were on the side until you started yelling at us. You were coming, you were passing on that Have you side, seen the so. Portlandia skit of the, the biker? Bicycle right! Bicycle right! Bicycle right! Bicycle! I'm on a bike! I'm on a bike! I'm on a bike! You're gonna turn? You gotta tell me! Watch out! Bike, 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 bike! Uh, cars, man, why? I don't have a driver's license! I don't need it! I got a bike lane here! Hey, I get this whole lane! Ten feet rule! Oregon State Law, ten feet. Hey, birds! You guys have little bikes? What are you looking at? I dig that tribal look. Move it! All foods is corporate! I hope I get a sunburn. <gasps> Hold up. I'm stopping. I'm stopped. That means I'm stopped. Pull your mirrors in. Go down. Let me go. Oh, lofts. Why? Watch out. Hey, bike lane. Bike lane. Bicycle rights. Go vegan. Move, 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 move. Gotta move over a little bit. A better place you can be. Move, move. Go. Maybe. Oh, maybe I have seen that. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, it's, it's a gun culture. Um, you know, no, no matter how much the trendy liberals in, here in Seattle or in Portland or in any other places say, we shouldn't yeah. have all these guns. You know, it's real hard to take that message to like, I don't know, Wyoming, uh, right. rural Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Florida. You know, where you got alligators, scorpions, rattlesnakes, bears, you know. These things, and, and places are places you need guns. Uh, Lori, I don't know uh, why she's doing it, but she's like watching news broadcasts oh, these days of and, mainstream news broadcasts. Yeah, okay. and she's she said that Obama was on there saying, you know, in the cities where we have strict gun control, we have the lowest amount of violence. Hmm. And how is that? anything but the opposite of true yeah where where is there stricter gun laws than washington dc or chicago i don't know that. and and what what cities in new york city and what you know what cities do you not want to be in well i'll even throw a, a, a bonus onto your point here i've been to roseburg okay there's probably a lot of people with guns there i bet it's a it's a gun-free zone at the school well, it's a college. Supposedly, it wasn't a gun-free zone. It was reported as a gun-free zone, but it wasn't. That's too bad. I was, I was right. Yeah, but um, the the one person with a gun, concealed carry, was told, "No, you can't leave the classroom to go try and stop the person who's shooting up the classroom." Right. You know. I don't know. We're, well, um, I think I casually referenced Donald Trump having spoken with Bill Clinton, and then we actually got an email about it. Yeah. And so you threw in you threw in the articles that I that someone wrote in about and said, 
Um, yeah, I mean, they weren't calling me a liar, but they asked for documentation, which is fair. So I sent a, a couple articles that so you included those. Uh, so, yes, I believe I said met with Bill Clinton, which was not correct. He spoke with Bill Clinton, but it it was a, a private phone conversation before announcing his bid, um, which kind of plays into the thesis of Donald Trump is a ringer for Hillary for Hillary Clinton. But we shall see. The Donald is a false flag. Yeah. So Caitlyn Jenner will not be charged with vehicular manslaughter. That was the deal, man. Alright, alright, Bruce. You killed someone with your car. So what are you going to do to get out of this? How about promote a uh, alternative lifestyle? Deal. Done. That was the deal? That was the deal. The uh, video was the, the, the the pretty damning. Before, before all of the uh, sex change stuff. Okay. And I guess it the L.A. County De- Sheriff's Department investigated the accident for six months before submitting a 161-page report to the DA. Six months? Watch the video. He slams into a person going 40 or 50 miles, 50, probably 60 miles an hour, knocks them into oncoming traffic, they get hit and die. Yeah. I mean, what were they looking at for six months? I, mean, I don't get it. Yeah. It's weird. I thought this was after the uh, sex change so, operation and all that good stuff. This was this was prior, and the police department recommended that he he should be charged, and then the DA decided against it. Right? Bruce Jenner in horrible car tra- crash, one person dead. He has a recreational vehicle behind an Escalade, rear ends a car. Anyway, wow. So, oh, by the way, just for reference, he's driving an Escalade, knocks a. Uh, Poor little Lexus into an oncoming Hummer. Good thing, we, good thing we got those battering rams out there on the road. Good stuff. All right, so you think that was a deal? Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Can't can't uh, give the the person with the ESPN Courage Award, the Arthur Ashe Courage Award, can't throw him in jail now. That's true. Although I would think the persons that was killed, their family should have a huge civil case. Or, yeah, I was gonna say that's what I was thinking. Huge settlements in coming. Okay, let's see. We are next up. Shielded by law. Killings by police in the line of duty have surged in Washington over the past decade, according to Seattle Times analysis. During that period, only one officer has been criminally charged in state courts with the illegal use of deadly force on the job. In fact, that's the only case, that's the only one to be brought in three decades since Washington enacted the nation's most restrictive law on holding officers accountable for the unjustified use of deadly force. Hmm. In 1986, Washington's legislation uh, decided police officers shouldn't be prosecuted for killing someone in the line of duty as long as they acted in good faith and without malice and what the law calls evil intent. 
this almost perfect defense uh, to a mistaken use of force has kept police and officers out of court as defendants. King County Prosecutor Dan Satterberg says, The Times has analyzed 213 police fatality encounters from 2005 to 2014. Do you hear that? 213 people killed in, in Washington State in the last seven years. Although the vast ma- uh, by police officers, although vast majority of the cases were deemed legally justified, others were pretty controversial. But with the malice and good faith requirements, it was nearly impossible for prosecutors to bring criminal charges, even if they concluded that an officer committed a wrongful killing. The Times also determined that a disproportionate amount of the 213 deaths were African American, a troubling finding as the nation wrestles with the spate of police encounters that have led to the death of unarmed African Americans, spawning the Black Lives Matter movement. In a lone case, an Everett police officer was charged with second-degree murder and manslaughter after he fatally shot a drunken man through the rear window of his car in 2009. A Snohomish County jury instructed to consider whether he acted with malice acquitted the officer. (laughs) Prosecutors from the state's 39 counties, some were concerned about the justifiable police homicide statute. And they will discuss further whether to have the law changed on August October 1st, public meeting with Washington Association. By the numbers, just how often police killings in line of duty, under what circumstances... Uh, do you get the point? Yeah, I, I knew someone whose cousin was killed by police. Here in this Washington, beautiful state of Washington? Yeah, which, when I lived in Yakima. Was it provably, and... provably done with malice? No, they. I'm sure the there police was no walked. Nothing happened. Oh, absolutely. There was no. I don't think there were any charges brought. Um, the kid was sitting in his car with a disassembled airsoft gun. Hmm. That was his crime. So <clears throat> the most egregious in a June report: deadly force, police use of lethal force in the United States. Amnesty International found Washington State's good faith and malice language stood alone among the 50 states. Washington, it's the most egregious, said Jemira uh, Burley, an Amnesty International official who handles gun violence and criminal issues. Jeff Robinson, a longtime Seattle defense attorney who directs the Center for Justice and the National American Civil Liberties Union, wants the law changed. Uh, and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, of course, there's also famous video of uh, the woodworker who was holding an, an you remember that one? 2010, no. 2010, uh, somewhat homeless man, we'll say transient man, walking down the street with a piece of wood uh, that he was actually carving. He had a knife. Cop rolls up on him, tells him to drop the knife. The guy's confused, doesn't drop the knife, gets shot six times. Mm. Seems seems like a reasonable It's hard response. to drop a knife when you don't have a knife. Yeah. He had a knife. Oh. He was, he was, he was carving a piece of wood with his knife. Oh, okay. As he walked. And the, the guy said, drop your knife, drop your knife. He seems somewhat confused. Get shot. So there you go. I mean, he had stabbed the police officer before he got shot. Right? <laughs> no. He was just standing mm. there with a piece of wood and a knife in his hand. Because, and, and clearly, the, the dash cam shows the poor guy walking across the street carving wood. <laughs> and then is stopped off camera and then shot. So... Uh, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Um, and that's, I think, you know, and then when the D, when the, when the justice department DOJ comes out and says, you're a little bit too harsh with people, you know, that's, you should take notice of that. That's, uh, I mean, (laughs) 
<laughs> what what is that like? What is that like? A Rod telling saying you gotta quit with the steroids. You gotta man. quit with the steroids, man. <laughs> so um Forbes this story from Forbes is just a good reminder, a good read. I encourage people to read it. It'll be in the show notes, but just a good reminder of a story that was around just five, six years ago. But you remember uh the Target story? The Target hack? No. No, I don't. Target started sending coupons for baby items to customers according to their pregnancy scores. So basically, oh, yes, yeah, yes. they can actually tell you're pregnant. So they analyze all the data, all the stuff you buy, and can actually tell whether or not you're pregnant. This is just a good reminder because I was reminded of this story recently and reread it. I'll, re- I'll read the best part and the rest will be in the show notes. I encourage people to take a look. Target started sending coupons for baby items to customers according to their pregnancy score based off of their big data that they're harvesting on people. Duhigg shares an anecdote, so good it sounds made up, um, that conveys how eerily accurate the targeting is. An angry man went into a Target store outside Minneapolis demanding to talk to a manager. My daughter got this in the mail, he said. She's still high in high school, and you're sending her coupons for baby clothes and cribs. Are you trying to encourage my daughter to get pregnant? The manager didn't have any idea what the man was talking about. He looked at the mailer. Sure enough, it was addressed to the man's daughter and contained advertisements for maternity clothing, nursery furniture, and pictures of smiling infants. The manager apologized and then called a few days later to apologize again. On the phone, though, the father was somewhat abashed. I had a talk with my daughter, he said. It turns out there's been some activities in my house. I haven't been completely aware of. She's due in August, and I owe you an apology. Target's Andrew Pohl. Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> what, what Target discovered fairly quickly is that it creeped out. It creeped people out that the company knew about their pregnancies in advance. If we send someone a catalog and say congratulations on your first child, and they've never told us they're pregnant, that's going to make some people uncomfortable. We're going to be conservative about our compliance with pri- all privacy law, but even if you're Following the law, you can do things where people get a little queasy. So Target got sneakier about saying the coupons. The company can create personalized booklets instead of sending people with high school pregnancy scores, uh, with high pregnancy scores, book coupons solely for diapers, rattles, and strollers, or the go to sleep book. The more subtly spread them about. Anyway, so it just talks about uh, how they can actually predict based on your shopping habits whether or not you are pregnant with pretty good accuracy. Oh, and uh, Google knows as well from what you're searching for on the internet. That's true. Drug Wars and Oregon is expunging pot records. Oregon has taken the lead in writing some of the wrongs of the war on weed. On Monday, the New York Times reported Oregon's leadership is expunging marijuana violations from citizens' records. Even simple pot tickets can haunt someone for the rest of their life, sabotaging uh, job hiring and other milestones, so Portland's Metropolitan Public Defender's Office is running expungement clinics to forever seal records of past pot crimes. The Times interviewed a 43-year-old mother dogged by a pot ticket from her 20s. She handed a bong to a cop more than two decades ago and has disqualified her for jobs and she couldn't volunteer at her kid's school. Now one, well, no one will see that conviction ever again. Except for reading this article. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> She's the one! Um... <laughs> So interestingly, the the day the uh, first day you could sell recreational marijuana in Oregon was the same day of the shooting. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I also read another article in the New York Times recently that said that there there are several prisons across the United States that are 
releasing. So it's, it, it's clear what happened, Tim. What's that? He got high on the weed. He got he he, of course, never did any weed when it was illegal. Went and got some legal weed, smoked it, and went crazy and shot ten people. How is the media covering this up? <laughs> but the New York Times article I was talking about a minute ago, um, they actually are releasing drug offenders from prison. Obama signed a law saying that they should start releasing them. They're releasing like six thousand this week, and then there's going to be more the next week. Um, from different presidents around the country. So basically, if you're not affiliated with guns, you haven't had a violent crime, and it was less than a certain amount of of uh, drugs, then you're being released. Um, I can only imagine how Fox News is spinning that news. Well, um, hopefully they've learned some new skills while in prison that will help them in the real world. <laughs> Only minor criminals before, but now fully trained. Did you read Why Science Can't Say When a Baby's Life Begins? No. It's kind of an interesting article. Uh, before ultrasounds and long before Roe versus Wade, it was obvious when life began. The quickening. The first time a woman felt a baby's kick was the moment the baby came alive. The moment it got a soul. When Henry VIII's wife felt her quickening, it was cause for celebratory bonfires across London. In the 19th century, abortion in Britain was legal until the quickening. But the importance of the quickening, a concept that had been around since at least Aristotle, is now a relic. Before a mother can feel a baby kick, around 20 weeks, she can already hear its heartbeat and see the blurry outline of a face with an ultrasound. In a 2012 presidential debate, Paul Ryan explained his views on abortion by talking about seeing the bean shape of an unborn daughter on an ultrasound. He and his wife nicknamed her Bean. Ryan would later sponsor a bill for fetal personhood, which gives full rights to a zygote after fertilization. In a way, science made it possible for the argument of fetal personhood. So then it goes on to say, when is fertilization? The next century of development biology made things even more complicated. With in vitro fertilization, combining sperm and egg in a lab, scientists could directly observe the process of sperm entering the egg for the first time. It actually takes place over as long as 24 hours. A series of biochemical changes needs to happen before the sperm can enter. Inside the body, fertilization can happen hours or even days after insemination. As the sperm travels up the fallopian tubes, this also induces changes in the membrane of the sperm called capacitation. But even even after fertilization isn't a clean indicator of anything. The next step is implantation when the fertilized egg travels down the fallopian tube and attaches to the mother's uterus. There's an incredibly high rate of fertilized eggs that don't implant. The changing of the threshold of viability. Blah, 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 blah. What do you think? What's your thoughts on this? Um, I think you... You let God sort it out. So you don't stick a coat hanger up there? You don't. Um, human beings do not do well with power, especially power over life and death. That's, so. this, should, this should be your words of wisdom for the end of the show. Good good work. This one kind of ties in. It's not your imagination, single woman. There literally are not enough men out there. This was an interesting read, and I encourage everyone to read this one. Uh, it's quite long, but the... Uh, the the uh, conclusions 
allusions and uh, everything in between that are made in this article are quite interesting. <sighs> we all have that friend, the beautiful, intelligent, driven woman like Catherine Hagel in every room, com, r- r- every rom com. Apparently short for romantic comedy. Oh, yeah. I don't know who Catherine Hagel is, but... Yeah. Can't find whatever. a decent date. Every guy she goes out with is an a-hole. She consistently dates below her league, and she's on the verge of giving up committed relationships altogether. Not long after he turned 30, the, the writer John Berger realized he and his wife knew a lot of women like that. The couple didn't have a lot of single male friends left, but the many single women they all knew seemed to be buyers... In, stuck in a seller's market. One of those friends told me they had been dating a guy for a couple of years. It certainly seemed like they were well on their way to getting married, and she was in her late 30s. He was in his mid-40s. She really wanted to have kids, get married, the whole thing, and she's amazing in every way. One day, Berger casually asked about her boyfriend, and her whole expression changed. They had just broken up. They'd been dating for over two years, and he wasn't ready to settle down. So he can't understand how this happened. Using his background in economics and statistics, Berger sought out an answer. The result in his new book, Datanomics, How Dating Became a Lopsided Numbers Game, a clever read with a sobering conclusion, there simply aren't enough college-educated men to go around. For every four-year college-educated woman in my generation, there are three college-educated men. The result, what Berger calls a musical chairs of the heart, as the pair of... As the men pair off with partners, unpartnered straight women are left with fewer and fewer options, and millions of them are eventually with no uh, left with no option at all. Um, they, they can't marry a guy that didn't graduate from college. Yeah, man, you got to read this article because it just keeps going and going and going. It's like only college age, and it's it's it goes on to say that like at this point, you know, if they keep heading this direction, that mo- it's gonna be like over sixty percent of of people who graduate of college are going to be women um and just it's just i don't know it's a fascinating read on a lot of levels um so i just think i encourage other people to look into it what do we do about that we need legislation yeah does that mean the one work- law away tim one law away from does that mean in the working class sing uh, dating market, there are lots of single men. So those are working class, ones who haven't graduated from college. What implications does that have? Among non-college-educated singles ages 22 to 29, there are 9.4 million men and 7.1 million women. And if you look at the women in that age group who are non-college-educated, something like 30% of the women are married, but only 22% of the men are married. So it's weird. It's drawn this. It's just... it's. Uh... I, I don't realize... I didn't realize it's a problem that some people with college degrees are marrying people without college degrees. It's a huge problem, buddy. I don't know if you know, (laughs) but we got to get everybody to go through those darn schools so that they can all graduate shackled to the chains of debt unless Bernie's elected. I got a Bernie sign in the yard down the street here, just right down the road. Does it say feel the burn? just says Bernie. I... We our ISP operates a classifieds page, mm-hmm. very popular classifieds page, and uh, people have homemade Bernie Sanders signs. They're selling for five dollars a piece. Wow! There you go. This is a story I really wanted you to read, but it is long. But this Cold War comic book artist was a secret government propagandist. 
On June 14, 1952, a former U.S. Navy pilot named John Buzz Sawyer received a late-night phone call from his boss, Frontier Oil Executive named Wright. Sawyer Wright said, You're just a fellow. We need to handle this job, this little job in Iran, the job which involves spraying a potent new insecticide in the Iranian countryside to help avert a locust plague was part of the Truman Administration's Point Four program of the Technical Assistance to Developing Nation, a cornerstone of the anti- of the liberal anti-communist approach to the Cold War. Win the hearts and minds of the world's poor by showing them American know-how. Promised a better future than Soviet centralized planning. Buzz Sawyer cut the ideal American figure to represent the free market utopian goals of point four. Clean cut, handsome, humble, and square-jawed. He won over the Iranians not with speeches about baseball and representative democracy, but with respectful displays of can-do pragmatism. With the help of his eager crew, he defeated the locust threat in U.S. with U.S. chemicals. I sure hope these boys know something about spraying locusts. I don't. This was 1952, so no debates about organic food versus carcinogens. <laughs> Rand's grateful peasantry thus saw with open, uh, with its own eyes America's bottom line virtue and the perfidy, perfidy of the Soviet Union when a Russian agent attempted to sabotage Buzz's equipment. You're the kind of foreigner I like, said Ali, a grateful locust control officer. You don't criticize my country. You just pitch in and help. Uh, hard to believe that that was actually a comic book from earlier in uh, this century. Uh, but it goes on and on and on. And uh, it's another fascinating read. So he was working for the government. The guy who made these awesome stories about America? Yeah. Shocker. I thought you'd be shocked. Yeah. Those in Washington have almost overlooked one of the niftiest propaganda mediums to be found in the U.S., newspaper comic strips. Crane wrote in 1942 a letter pitching his services to Elmer Davis, director of the United States Office of War Information. On my own initiative, I began some propaganda work about two years ago in an effort to wake up the people of the danger confronting us. It was necessary to be pretty subtle as office regulations did not permit any mention of war. Crane suggested the government set up a department and coordinator who can tell cartoonists which themes they should integrate into their narratives. you got to read this thing, man. But uh, even your newspaper comic strip is not safe. <laughs> well, I hope no one thought it was safe. But yeah. On that note, drugs are becoming legal. Guns are not becoming more illegal. I don't know. Hopefully next week we'll just have more football news and no mass shooting news. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But this is America. But like Obama says, it happens every couple months. So no need to do them back-to-back or anything. There's always more football, Tim. It's a great thing about America. There's always <laughs> more football. It's always more football. I played that that clip at the end of the show last week, so it's apt apt clip to be playing. Might as well play it again. Yep. And don't forget about our homework. I will also play the beginning of a good man is hard to find. A good man is hard to find. Read by the author herself, and her name is Flannery O'Connor. Flannery O'Connor. Let's not forget about that. So go re- go read all her at least her short stories. All right, so they're short people. You can read them. Stay tuned after the short outro for the first c- 
couple of minutes. I don't know how long I'll put in there of that short story. And then you can find a link to this, to that, the rest of that story on revelationsradionews.com. A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com, and thank you for your support of this podcast. Don't you say- didn't want to go to Florida. She wanted to visit some of her connections in East Tennessee, and she was seizing at every chance to change Bailey's mind. Bailey was the son she lived with, her only boy. He was sitting on the edge of his chair at the table, bent over the orange sports section of the journal. Now look here, Bailey, she said. See here, read this. And she stood with one hand on her thin hip and the other rattling the newspaper at his bald head. Here, this fellow that calls himself the misfit is a loose from the federal pen and headed toward Florida. And you read here what it says he did to these people. Just you read it. I wouldn't take my children in any direction with a criminal like that loose in it. I couldn't answer to my conscience if I did. Bailey didn't look up from his reading, so she wheeled around then and faced the children's mother, a young woman in slacks whose face was as broad and innocent as a cabbage and was tied around with a green headkerchief that had two points on the top like rabbit's ears. She was sitting on the sofa, feeding the baby his apricots out of a jar. The children had been to Florida before, the old lady said. You all ought to take them somewhere else for a change so they would see different parts of the world and be broad. They never have been to East Tennessee. <laughs> the children's mother didn't seem to hear her, but the eight-year-old boy, John Wesley, a stocky child with glasses, said, If you don't want to go to Florida, why don't you stay at home? He and the little girl, June Starr, were reading the funny papers on the floor. She wouldn't stay at home to be queen for a day, June Starr said, without raising her yellow head. Yes, and what would you do if this fellow, the misfit, caught you? The grandmother asked. I'd smack his face, John Wesley said. She wouldn't stay at home for a million bucks, June Starr said, afraid she'd miss something. She has to go everywhere we go. All right, miss, the grandmother said. Just remember that the next time you want me to curl your hair. June Starr said her hair was naturally curled. The next morning, the grandmother was the first one in the car ready to go. She had her big black valise that looked like the head of a hippopotamus in one corner, and underneath it she was hiding a basket with pity saying the cat in it. She didn't intend for the cat to be left alone in the house for three days because he would miss her so much, and she was afraid he might brush against one of the gas burners and accidentally asphyxiate himself.
Her son Bailey didn't like to arrive at a motel with a cat. She sat in the middle of the back seat. John Wesley and Jean Starr sat on either side of her. Bailey and the children's mother and the baby sat in front, and they left Atlanta at 8.45 with the mileage on the car at 55890. The grandmother wrote this down because she thought it would be interesting to see how many miles they had been when they got back. It took them 20 minutes to reach the outskirts of the city, his smooth, bland one. Occasionally, he gave her a faraway smile. They passed a large cotton field with five or six graves fenced in the middle of it like a small island. Look at the graveyard, the grandmother said, pointing it out. That was the old family burying ground. That belonged to the plantation. Where's the plantation, John Wesley asked. Gone with the wind, said the grandmother. Ha, ha. When the children finished all the comic books they had bought, they opened the lunch and ate it. The grandmother ate a peanut butter sandwich and an olive and would not let the children throw the box and the paper napkins out the window. When there was nothing else to do, they played a game by choosing a cloud and making the other two guess what shape it suggested. John Wesley took one shape of a cow, and June Starr guessed a cow, and John Wesley said no an automobile, and June Starr said he didn't play fair, and they began to slap each other over the grandmother. The grandmother said she would tell them a story if they would keep quiet. When she told the story, she rolled her eyes and waved her head and was very dramatic. She said once when she was a maiden lady, she had been courted by Mr. Edgar Atkins Tea Garden from Jasper, Georgia. She said he was a very good-looking man and a gentleman, and that he brought her a watermelon every Saturday afternoon with his initials cut in it, E-A-T. Well, one Saturday, she said, Mr. Teagarden brought the watermelon, and there was nobody at home, and he left it on the front porch and returned in his buggy to Jasper. But she never got the watermelon, she said, because a color boy ate it when he saw the initials, E-A-T. This story tickled John Wesley's funny bone, and he giggled and giggled, but June Starr didn't think it was any good. She said she wouldn't marry a man that just brought her a watermelon on Saturday. <laughs> the grandmother said she would have done well to marry Mr. Teagarden because he was a gentleman and had bought Coca-Cola stock when it first came out and that he had died only a few years ago, a very wealthy man. They stopped at the tower for barbecued sandwiches. The tower was a part stucco and part wood filling station and dance hall set in a clearing outside of Timothy. A fat man named Red Sammy Butts ran it, and there were signs stuck here and there on the building, and for miles up and down the highway, saying, Try Red Sammy's Famous Barbecue. None like famous Red Sammy's. Red Sam, the fat boy with a happy laugh. A veteran. <laughs> Red Sammy was lying on the bare ground outside the tower with his head under a truck while a gray monkey about a foot high, chained to a small chinaberry tree, chattered nearby. The monkey sprang back into the tree and got on the highest limb as soon as he saw the children jump out of the car and run toward him. Inside, the tower was a long, dark room with a counter at one end and tables at the other and dancing space in the middle. They all sat down at a board table next to the Nickelodeon, and Red Sam's wife, a tall, burnt brown woman with hair and eyes lighter than her skin came and took their order. The children's mother put a dime in the machine and played the Tennessee waltz, and the grandmother said that tune always made her want to dance. She asked Bailey if he would like to dance, but he only glared at her. 
He didn't have a naturally sunny disposition like she did, and trips made him nervous. The grandmother's brown eyes were very bright. She swayed her head from side to side and pretended she was dancing in her chair. June Starr said play something she could tap to. So the children's mother put in another dime and played a fast number, and June Starr stepped out onto the dance floor and did her tap routine. Ain't she cute, Red Sam's wife said, leaning over the counter. Would you like to come be my little girl? No, I certainly wouldn't, June Starr said. I wouldn't live in a broken-down place like this for a million bucks. And she ran back to the table. Ain't she cute, the woman repeated, stretching her mouth politely. Aren't you ashamed, hissed the grandmother. Red Sam came in and told his wife to quit lounging on the counter and hurry up with these people's order. His khaki trousers reached just to his hip bones, and his stomach hung over them like a sack of meal swaying under his shirt. He came over and sat down at a table nearby and let out a combination sigh and yodel. You can't win, he said. You can't win. And he wiped his sweating red face off with a gray handkerchief. These days, you don't know who to trust, he said. Ain't that the truth? People are certainly not nice like they used to be, said the grandmother. Two fellas come in here last week, Red Sammy said, driving a Chrysler. It was an old beat-up car, but it was a good one, and these boys looked all right to me. Said they worked at the mill. And you know, I let them fellas charge the gas they bought. Now, why did I do that? Because you're a good man, the grandmother said at once. Yes, sir, I suppose so, Red Sam said, as if he was struck with this answer. His wife brought the orders, carrying five plates all at once without a tray, two in each hand and one balanced on her arm. It isn't a soul in this green world of gods that you can trust, she said. And I don't count nobody out of that. Not nobody, she repeated, looking at Red Sammy. Did you read about that criminal, the misfit that's escaped? Asked the grandmother. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he didn't attack this place right here, said the woman. If he hears about it being here, I wouldn't be none surprised to see him. If he hears it's two cents in the cash register, I wouldn't be at all surprised if you... That'll do, Red Sam said. Go bring these people their cocoas. And the woman went off to get the rest of the order. A good man is hard to find, Red Sammy said. Everything is getting terrible. I remember the day you could go off and leave your screen door unlatched. Not no more. He and the grandmother discussed better times. The old lady said that in her opinion... Europe was entirely to blame for the way things were now. She said the way Europe acted, you would think we were made of money. And Red Sam said it was no use talking about it. She was exactly right. The children ran outside into the white sunlight and looked at the monkey in the lacy chinaberry tree. He was busy catching fleas on himself and biting each one carefully between his teeth as if it were a delicacy.